Hey, uh, so just did a recording together with Ed on how to build yourself a real estate portfolio, how to get uh, your first properties in, how to vet tenants, um, his approach to it and everything that comes with it. So yeah, anyway, I really enjoyed this one, learned personally quite a bit of it. I hope we'll, you will enjoy it as well. So sit back, relax and enjoy this awesome episode. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta, and Matthias. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Financial Independence uh, Europe podcast episode. Um, today, I've got Ed with me. Hey, Ed. Hey, man. And we're actually going to do something pretty awesome. We're going to have another real estate episode um, and having a bit of a discussion on that one. We initially planned to talk about pensions, but that's something we're going to postpone until the next episode because uh, it actually got some pretty awesome news. Literally, when we just had this conversation, he uh, managed to buy himself a property of auction and he has some more like real estate experience in the back of that as well. So I think this would make for like a pretty uh, interesting case to focus on. How to use real estate for cash flow purposes to either flip them uh, or to appreciation, live off the rent, etc., and uh, just have a bit of a discussion on that and see what we can make of it. But anyway, before I ramble on, Ed, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and why you're on the podcast? Hey, yeah, cheers, all. Yeah, I'm on. Um, I'm on a podcast uh, because you know, at first uh, I was looking to. You know, talk about pensions because I do have some experience with pensions. Um, but then as well, I uh, as as we were just talking before the show, it was it was a bit crazy. Um, my my business partner was in an auction, uh, bidding on bidding on a property that we'd had our eye on, and we'd been to view, etc. And and he actually won it as we were talking. Um, so quick change of subject, and <laughs> we're now doing a podcast about real estate. So yeah, um, I'm from England. Um, I am. You know, I'm still reasonably young. I'm 28, um, and I have been on the path to FI for about five or six years now. It was when I first started employment, actually, and I could actually start saving, you know, meaningfully and things like that. Um, so, yeah, that's a brief history of me. Nice one. Um, so, five, six years ago, when you found out about five, was it just you found Mr. Money Mustache or like kind of like how did you? learn about fire and like in what kind of situation were you back then it was a bit strange actually uh, i didn't learn about it sort of traditionally um what happened was i was i, I come from a really really modest uh, background you know I, I grew up in a two up two down terraced house um i then moved into a, a two-bedroom flat where i lived with my grandparents and um and yeah i I just had a really modest, modest upbringing, and and my grandparents, um, they introduced me to frugality. Um, there was there's some hilarious stories about it, which I found out, you know, years later. Like I spent my whole childhood thinking that the hot water wasn't working, where in fact they just didn't want to turn the immersion heater on because it cost too much to heat the water up. <laughs> and um, yeah, and. I was introduced to frugality that way because they were obviously really concerned about the finances, really concerned about um, what was coming in, what was going out, just living on a, a very normal pension and also, you know, the, the state pension as well. And then 
I met a family that were incredibly wealthy and you know I spent some time around them and I got sort of talking and I got comfortable with you know talking about wealth and talking about uh, finances because that was like an everyday topic in their household and I found out that the way in which they got wealthy was through land and real estate so I ultimately then started getting into educating myself about that subject because at the time I was I was 18 19 I didn't have you know a high enough income to even remotely start with this but I decided then that I'm going to set a plan to start buying rental properties um, and then you know turn that into my job long term and then hopefully become you know financially independent that way um so then as time went on I, I was getting into property groups um and you know there's there's a lot of uh, the, the only way I can put it is there's a lot of hawks circling in them groups um they offer training courses and various other things to to part you from your hard-earned money um and you know I did I did get caught up in some of them in in the early days and um, when I was sort of 19 20 um but you know that gave me enough motivation really to then go alone and and start learning about real estate and property um and then it was i read i read well i was i was getting into reading about finance and i'm just looking for the name of the book now um on the bookcase but i actually read i started looking into the stock market so my first read was the intelligent investor um, and i think a lot of people mention that resource i hear it quite a lot on this podcast and that sort of got me switched on to the stock market and then one, once I started learning more about the stock market and other asset classes, bonds, gold, commodities, etc., I wangled my way onto a book called Early Retirement Extreme by um, Jacob Lund Fisker. And that book sort of introduced me to the notion of FIRE, um, living off investment income in a low-cost way. And yeah, it was, uh, you know, a as time's gone on, I know we can get into it. My approach has softened a little because um, this guy's really hardcore. Um, but yeah, that was that was where it started. Um, so it started from a point of wanting to get rich and has now ended at a point where I don't necessarily want to be rich or wealthy, actually. I just want my time and I think I think a lot of people end up uh, end up at a similar similar junction as me, you know, probably a common theme. I think that's a very fair one, um, as in most people well, start out, hey, I want to earn shit tons of money, um, but also at the same time, like over time realizing life quality is far more important, because it comes with aging and it comes with its understanding of money, more understanding of yourself. Um, it's definitely a process if I experienced myself as well. Uh, and it's really just the, uh, the option to get your time back, your freedom determining yourself what you work and, and kind of like what order you do things but eddie uh sorry Ed, we're gonna stick to Ed because i like Ed more than eddie or i, I like both but it sounds nicer it's all right man i respond to most things uh, <laughs> just <laughs> um good stuff anyway um so what i'm also curious about and in terms of like how far are you along right now and what are kind of like your investment methods because we've mentioned um, stock market and real estate investing but like kind of through the asset classes how are you roughly divided in terms of investments and how far are you in terms of reaching five yeah um five for me is 
probably 12 to 15 years away i think um and i'm i'm doing that purely based on you know a a traditional sort of stocks bonds and and then you know we can throw in some quirky stuff like gold portfolio in there um because the way i see that is um i'm building my isa now to get me to sort of the 40 43 range so that that will see me through to 55 and then i'm also working on my pension um so that that will see me through from 55 in as well as uh my uh you know my my isa through to uh you know the rest of my retirement days um but what i am working on on the side and you know we've alluded to at the start is a uh, a property investment portfolio um because what i'm hoping is that this will give me the long term uh, wealth that i need not just through cash flow but through capital appreciation where i can um where I can use the funds that uh, my portfolio within my portfolio to grow my portfolio. So I'm actually now, even though I've, even though I'm actively looking to purchase property, I'm not actually adding any of my own money um, to property. I'm, I'm more focused on building um, my portfolio away, but also to diversify away because I feel that if I have all my eggs in the property basket, um, it's probably a foolish thing to do. And, when you when you go come from a property circle, it's a very normal thing to do. So it's I'm going a little bit against the grain with that, um, as I'm sure most people would agree with. You know, how many properties do you own at this very moment? Yeah, not um, not too many. I've got a property that I live in that uh, me and my girlfriend bought, and I have three other properties as of today um, that are rental properties. So four in total. Um, they're they're all jointly owned. So it's not like I, I own them on my own. So you could say that I own two, if uh, if you want to play it that way. Coach, and you were also mentioning your business partner. Is your business partner uh, like somebody you just met on the meetups or kind of like, do you do the deals together with him? Yeah, so um, there's, there's a bit of a strange backstory about me and my business partner. We, we, we met because we used to just um, go out and party all the time together you know back in our uh, back in our younger days and when I was in university and and things like that and um, as time went on we just become good mates and you know the the main thing I realized was that I could really trust this guy he's someone that I I explicitly trust and I think that regardless of your technical ability regardless of your knowledge your background um this is someone that I can trust and that that to me means more than anything when you go into partnership with someone um especially a financial partnership you know you gotcha because i think many people either want to get into this space or or are already um often look for partners or people to team up with but finding somebody like truly trust with tens of thousands of your own money i think that's incredibly hard and also really cool that you managed to find somebody where you get along with and you can do deals together um and hopefully strengthen each other's ability to actually get a property, fix an up, turn them, rent them out, or like whatever you do with them. But do it together, share the responsibility, um, and hopefully the sum of you to, uh, combined succeed more often uh, in that way. And that's, I mean, obviously, I assume it's also a good friendship and, you know, a nice way of working together. But that you guys together just work really well as a team. I'm just speaking out loud now, but I'm just wondering, like, in terms of like this partnership, how do you divide things? Or is it just... Both of you look for properties, make bids, and whoever gets one, then you buy it together and just fix it up and split the profits? Or like, what's roughly the approach? 
we haven't got one to be honest um i i am quite good at you know dealing with um the finance side of things the the legal side of things and um, he's quite good at finding the deals and finding the properties and he's he, he comes from a background where he he actually had a, a company uh where in the building industry and and it failed um it was around the 09 recession 08 recession and he actually and this is one of the one of the most remarkable things about this guy is that he he liquidated his company and took on debt so that he could pay everyone, so that he could pay his staff, so that he could pay his suppliers, so that he could pay the people that he was working with. Um, and it left him in personal debt so that he so that no one else was. And you know, for me that's like a remarkable show of character. Um, it shows he's got the right morals, the right attitude and, and he has got some, you know, hands on property experience and that makes him better at that side of the job. Um but in terms of how we started, we we actually sort of hacked it a little bit. Um, we bought a property about three years ago on a on a residential product, so like a, a typical joint mortgage, and we just we had enough money together so that together we could get a ten percent deposit, and then we could do the property up as well. So we did that. We pulled our money together. We bought this place and we moved in, and then we decorated it ourselves. You know we. We did everything ourselves because we we were really on a tight budget, really strict budget. But then, as time has progressed, um, we've took on some debt, and we've also seen our careers progress so that we can save a little bit more, and that's put us in a bit of a better position um, to buy going forwards. Um, so yeah, in terms of dividing the responsibilities, I'm more of the uh, the nerd; he's more of the doer. Um, but we we do muck in with both, um, and there's there's no sort of duty that is is left truly segregated because we we just want to help each other out at the end of the day, you know. Gotcha. And actual profit in the end, this is just split fifty fifty. Fifty fifty. But uh, interestingly, we we aren't uh, actually taking any money from our from our properties. Um, everything that they earn, everything that they produce. Um, goes in, goes back into the portfolio to to try and organically grow the portfolio because you know what one of our goals is to actually you know work on it a little bit less, add add less of our own money as well because we are still putting in every month to grow our pot and and grow our next deposit and things like that. But what we're hoping is that with the momentum of buying um you know a property every six months to every year um that we will eventually. Uh, the the rental income will completely overshadow any contributions that we're able to make, and then we've got an organically growing portfolio there that's reasonably hands off. We we appreciate in in a real world property isn't a hands off investment, and um, we do manage everything ourselves. We we manage the tenants. We manage um you know we we recently um got surprised by the council for what we thought was going to be a straightforward um single single let property they actually upgraded it to a mini hmo and there's actually nothing anywhere in 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 our local council's um guidelines for a mini hmo so they just sort of told us um via email um and then that meant that obviously we had to get much more extensive fire protection works put in and that's fine you know it's it's part of the learning experience. And if we were a little bit more experienced, we might have been able to spot that. Um, but 
you know, so this is why we're still quite hands-on um, because we are still making mistakes and we are still learning, but it's all part of the experience, you know. Gotcha, and quick one, and HMR is effectively a legal status for you as a landlord when you have more than, what is it, three or four units within a building, correct, right? Yeah, so here at the moment, it's um, it's classed as five, uh, let's say, individuals over um, a three-floor property. Um, what we went to the council with was four individuals, and we actually there's enough room in the house to turn it into a six bed HMO. But we we sort of valued the quality of the tenants' um, lives more, so we've we've left two rooms as recreational rooms, and we've put a pool table in there, we've put music in there, you know, we've put a beer fridge in there, and every Christmas I bring a couple of crates of beer around for them and uh, say thank you and things. And I think like you know we. We thought that we were flying under the rules with that, but they, they actually come in and surprised us and said, no, it's a small HMO. And then we had to then fit a full new uh, interlocked fire system, fire doors, do a fire risk assessment, um, various other things. But yeah, it's a, it was a learning curve. But, um, you know, in hindsight, we'd have been financially better off just cramming six people in there. But it's it's not what we're about. We we want our guys to stay long term. And, um, and they are, you know, the... Nearly, nearly all of our tenants have been with us since they moved in. Um, you know, the when Lee and I lived in this uh, property, we actually, when we moved out, we replaced um, the two rooms that we were staying in with two tenants. But the two people that moved in with us from the start have been been with us from the start. And you know, we we look after we look after our guys, and and that's always going to be my motto. I think. I like that, and I can also imagine. Um that, you know, the fact you have this relation with your tenants, then you know you, uh, you know them, um, they wouldn't just like leave on the spot or mistreat the property. Um, and let's say something needs to be done, a contractor needs to come in or whatever, or like a small job, or you, you just need a bit of help with something like that would also mean, you know, they're more willing to help you with something if there's a need for it. Yeah, you know, maintaining that relationship is absolutely key. The guys are so helpful, um, you know, nothing nothing's too much for them and a real and 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 they listen as well because we've got that mutual respect so there isn't any of this um you know typical um a landlord's a money grabber or he's a bad person and things like that because they they know me on on almost on a personal level um and I, i make it my business to do that i think you know when you've got a small a smaller portfolio, I think it's easier to do that. But I do see it, you know, I do see it becoming difficult as as a portfolio grows because, um, you know, there's only, you know, I, I am managing a full time job as well, and and so is my partner. So it's yeah, I can imagine it becoming more difficult. But I don't want to lose that. I think that's a really important part of what we have, um, that we we treat people like people, and um, you know, that that keeps our retention rates right up there. And I think also you said. Now, if we cramp like six people in there, we might make more money. But I think you can also make the argument by actually approaching it like this in terms of occupancy. You know, you're always 100% running up. People are happy to help. They're not just going to leave on the spot or damage uh, your property. On the long run, this might even work far better than trying to put as many people as possible within a unit or a building. I, I like this approach. It's, it's sometimes... It might be harder in the beginning to actually build up that relation and you know the feeling that you know if you would throw in two extra people you could earn yourself another six seven hundred a month in cash flow uh and like what it does to calculations but on the long run 
as you're saying, people are people. Please don't forget that. And there are already so many landlords in this world who kind of like don't stick to that. Um, so it's good that you're setting the example like that. I like it. Yeah, I, I couldn't really do it any other way, to be honest. I think, um, you know, and as well, the, the competition um, in in properties, um, it is quite high because especially around shared accommodation, because, you know, there are these big, huge multi-purpose um, properties now that have, you know, gyms in, they have um, all these great facilities like a coffee shop and, and all, all this. And, and for city living, you know, it's great. It's it's what people want. Um, so, you know, bringing that human ele- element just sort of differentiates us a little bit. Um, you know, we can never compete with that. So, you know, we've got to find our own angle. And, you know, for us, it's being really, really selective about our tenants. You know, I, I actually you know, spend a lot of time with the tenants at the start. I bring them to the house. Um, I also do my best to go to their house because then I can get a, a sort of feel for how they live and whether they would suit um, living with the other tenants. And I really do think about that because, you know, a harmonious house is a happy house and putting anyone in there, it, it could just result in conflict. It could just result in headaches. So it's really important to to vet and, and get people on a you know, on a, on a human level um, when you move them in and not treat them like a number. Um, yeah, it's something that's really important to us. And I feel like we do it quite well and our retention rates show that we do, you know, be, our people stick with us and, and you know, we uh, we wouldn't have it any other way, mate. Yeah. When you're actually describing kind of like your vetting process, I like it actually literally going over, checking out what they're doing, um, how they live themselves, if they fit with tenants that are in there. Because if you've got a tenant moving in, moving in and you have five others and they just don't get along at all um it can destroy the entire atmosphere in the house yeah absolutely and i think you know i wouldn't be getting thanked either <laughs> by the existing tenants if i move someone in who's an absolute nightmare and you know let's be honest we can um you know we can feel like we've done our due diligence due diligence sorry all we want um by you know getting credit reports getting guarantors all that type of stuff and um, but there's nothing quite like just meeting the person in their own environment and and getting a feel for it i think that's a a really important part of of again just so that they know what you're about as well um because your your reaction to their environment's going to be important because they'll feel you know it's it's quite a high high pressure environment a high high pressure situation that because it's it's not normal is it for for a landlord to to want to come and see and come and meet you for a coffee in your place you know it's a, it's, it's not really a normal thing but then if the tenant doesn't want to do it then we say okay and just move on and best of luck mate you know yeah, indeed, and it might at the same time, um, it might not necessarily be like on a quantity perspective, the best approach, but on a quality perspective, you being able to actually go over and you know, see what they're doing. One thing I'm curious about, do you still do the actual credit checks and the guarantors and like the deposits? Do you still like stick to the usual checking methods as well? Yeah, I tick all, all them boxes, um, mostly because, you know, like you'd, you'd be surprised um Things like insurances, um, the council, other regulators, they, they, they require it of you. Um, so it's, you know, if, if you're a landlord and you're not doing these things in, in, in England, then um, you're, you know, by definition sort of being negligent. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's important that you tick um, the right boxes, but then it's important to get a feel for the people as well and, and not just treat them like cattle, you know. Uh, fair call. So, you know, let's say this all uh, starts working amazingly and your portfolio, I mean, obviously you have a certain cash flow on a monthly basis. 
you're reinvesting it, um, deposit startup and running like how many properties do you, do you think you need like to like really sustain the two of you uh, in a good quality way of living like eight, nine, ten? We don't actually have that number. Um, what we I've always had in my head that I'd like ten properties because that'll give me roughly one thousand five hundred to two thousand pounds a month. Um, sort of on on a rough basis uh you know if we keep the numbers square and you know for for most people in the fire community and definitely for me that's that's enough to cover all all my expenses that's enough to give me some pocket money at the end of the month and then you know i can spend my time you know working a low stress job or i can use my uh, portfolio income to supplement um and you know all these things do go through your head um but we very much just want to see what happens without actually setting that goal um the one goal we have is to diversify we don't want a portfolio of hmos a portfolio of um terraced houses a portfolio of flats we want to get sort of a you know as as many various properties as we can and try and diversify our area as well because you know the northwest of england where where i live um is is sort of going through a growth phase in in the cycle now um you know you've you've got notable areas like manchester liverpool uh leeds um these are areas which are seeing growth above and beyond um most places in the country um so to get like a you know a diversified type of portfolio sort of gives you the most exposure to that because Certain assets like HMOs, um, they don't really give you much capital appreciation because it's it's viewed almost like a uh, like a commercial entity. It's viewed almost as it's worth what it turns over. It's like a business, whereas a a flat in you know Manchester city centre, it might cost you two hundred grand to buy that flat in Manchester city centre, and you might be able to get a six bed HMO in in a you know in liverpool for the same price but you know manchester's growing at a remarkable rate so in terms of capital appreciation that is where you generate your wealth with a hmo uh, you actually generate your wealth through what's called yield and that is the the return that the property gives you so your strategy is quite important you know you've got to decide are you a, a yield investor or are you a capital growth investor or are you both and the strategy that we're employing is that we want to be both. We we want to we want to dabble in in you know the different types of property, the different areas, and also the different benefits that you know them types of property offer, like capital appreciation or yield. Um, that's that's what's most important to us to diversify. Nice one. And um, Ed, well, I actually have a chance. I would love to pick your brain on my own ideas on real estate. So at this very moment, I do not own any properties, but I'm in the process of buying one. And the nice thing about being a first-time buyer is that I get tons of tax advantages. It's maybe good to point out, within the UK, if you're a first-time buyer, there are a number of things you do not have to pay under a certain threshold. So for example, in the UK, it's called stamp duty tax. Um, on the top of my head, it's below 300k. I actually don't have to pay any stamp duty Many other countries also have um, comparable taxes when you buy a property. You pay a certain transaction tax. And whatever that's um, 1% or 2% or 3% or whatever in that range, it simply gets charged on top of the purchase price. You pay it and it hurts. But the nice thing about being a first-time buyer here is that, that I do not have to pay that. At the same time, um, 
here you have a special account called Eliza, a lifetime ISA, which allows me to uh, buy a property uh, and effectively like save a, a, um, a deposit in a tax advantaged way. The way it works effectively, I put in 4,000 a year and I get a thousand top from the government and I can do that every single year, rinse, repeat. And if you have a partner, you can do it times two, which I do and which I like. So effectively what I can do is I can buy a property without paying a pretty high transaction tax if I buy below a certain threshold and I can save up a deposit in a pretty reasonable cheap way plus with a nice government bonus on top. If you combine it with the low rates we have at this very moment and tons of uh, different government scheme that give you other interest-free loans uh, and comparable um, alternatives to that, I feel like I can hopefully make a pretty good case for property in my personal situation. What I'm kind of thinking about together with my partner is here in Edinburgh to get ourselves a flat, uh, roughly 150 to 200K, um, and we're either aiming at um, a two bedroom in an upcoming neighborhood over here or in a one bedroom with a really large living room where we, that we can partly convert to another bedroom Get a lodger in um, in UK, lodger effectively just a tenant that comes in, but with less legal rights than a full-on tenant. And it's more meant as kind of like a temporary arrangement. I'm getting a lodger for a certain period who comes in and hopefully helps support the bills. So if you combine those two here in Edinburgh, you can quite easily buy something for 200k and rent one of the rooms out for anywhere between like five to 600 um, on a monthly basis. And on top of that, the first seven and a half thousand you earn annually is tax free. So you don't pay any tax over that. One room um, times 12, 600, 7,200 on an annual basis uh, will make an extremely nice extra cushion to pay the mortgage um, off if you combine that uh, with living together. Obviously, has its downsides with actually having a lodger in. But I actually found it a pretty interesting case. And I'm curious. At kind of what your take is on that? Does it sound logical? Do you think that's foolish or do you think it's brilliant? Well, of, of course I'm going to say it's brilliant because that's exactly what I did. <laughs> 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 but um, but no, there's there's also um, you know you you made some really good compelling points for doing that. But there's also further tax advantages. So when you operate um, with a lodger, um, my accountant actually took a portion of my mortgage, a portion of my bills. Um, and put that and offset that against um, the cost of having a lodger because obviously it, inc it increases the costs of um, the lodger being there. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not too sure on the tax laws now because I don't have a lodger, but I'd definitely check it out because back then, um, I could get some. Uh, I could get some extra taxable benefits uh, from the increased cost of having a lodger. You know, in in terms of an idea, I, I think it's solid. It, the UK has a, a bias, you know, towards property. Uh, you know, home ownership seen as something that's really important. And you know, I was I was only listening to the the podcast the other day. You know, the, it was a chap on from Germany, and he was saying that it's it's just not you know it's it's not that big a goal really there. And I think the benefits of um of owning your property in, in the UK is that it is becoming sort of difficult to be a landlord. I do see changes in in the landscape. I do see changes um, in the way in which landlords are having to manage properties and also in which the, the costs that they're incurring. And I can see these being passed on to the tenant in, in a long-term sense because if property isn't profitable to invest in, then who's going to invest in it? 
it's got to have a fundamental appeal to people. You know, it's not quite there yet, but there are some big reforms that have gone in recently, you know, especially stamp duty. The stamp duty change in, in, in London just completely cooled the market off. Um, it, you know, the, the, the transaction volumes just went through the floor. Less people were buying property. Whereas when you look in your microclimates, like uh, like Manchester had the biggest growth last year um, in, in the UK, you know, the, the transaction rates are absolutely through the ceiling, but that's because the value of property is much lower. So in terms of your value, 150, 200K, yeah, you, you're going to dodge stamp duty. That's an absolute winner. Um, you know, the stamp duty as a landlord can be, can be quite... Uh, expensive but you know if you keep your property below the sort of one two five mark you pay three percent um so you know up north you can find a, a decent property for 60 80 grand you know three percent of that isn't very much you know we're talking 1800 pounds or whatever so it's it's not as bad as it sounds but it is worse down south um getting a lodge is brilliant i think you know really he needs the advice about vetting the lodger and the most important thing is about trusting them um because you are going to be sharing a living space with them you are gonna have to have um you know that that period where you're sort of getting you're figuring each other out you're getting to work you know getting to work each other out you know what each other's rules are um you know, one of my rules is no dishes in the uh, in the sink, and you wouldn't believe the amount of tenants, uh, or well, the amount of the the lodges that I that I had them arguments with. You know, because it's just it knocks me sick, mate. But um, but that's not everyone's rule, you know. And and this is the learning that you've got to go through. It's it's a habitat issue as well as a financial issue. Um, and then I think you know, yeah, you you bob on the money there that you can get. You can get, you know, seven grand tax free, but just don't forget that you might also get tax allowances on the side. Um, the one good thing I'd say about having a lodger is that it, it does enable you a little bit of freedom. So you can you can put your money to work a little bit better for what your goals are. So, you know, if if you're getting your um, your bills paid for, you could choose to overpay the difference on your mortgage. You know, most buy to let properties in in the UK at the moment require a 25% deposit. So it's quite important um, to to pay uh, your mortgage off um, if, if your plan is to eventually turn that property into a rental property. If you haven't got a plan to turn it into a rental property and you do see yourself there for a long time, then it makes sense to take your time with your mortgage, put it into um, other investments or, or, or spend it and enjoy it. But um, listening to you, I think you'd uh, struggle to spend it and enjoy it, mate. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, funny note on that one. Um, I was interviewed by the BBC uh, last week. They were kind of like asking, like, how do you live like that? Can you still live a good quality of life? And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, I can. Definitely. Um, yeah, if you generally would ask me the question, is there something I'm not spending on I would want to spend on? Absolutely not. Whatever I want, I am buying if it makes my quality of life better. And well, one minor note actually on the stamp duty, um, so the transaction tax, it's actually uh, everything after 145k is taxed at 2%. Uh, so it's not entirely untaxed, but again, from 145 to 200k, 2% over the 55k. That's doable on the grand scheme of things and definitely if you take the residential mortgage um, where in most cases we're talking about a 10-15% deposit uh, 
which is extremely doable and throw you know three four k in terms of legal fees and other transaction costs on top of there um and then in the end you can for like a pretty reasonable amount as a deposit um, you can buy a property and at the same time it's also worth considering getting the lodger is also affecting quality of life in certain ways because as you said yourself you have to get along with them in the end and if uh yeah i get much you know get extremely annoyed and then kick the lodger out or the lodger kicks me out because i go so nuts who knows um like that's the principle um i think is really important to that evaluate because the 600 a month in rent or whatever sounds good and nice but if you have to share your space with somebody and you hate it i think it's really fair to ask myself and others if they consider this do you truly want something like this like a roommate i think i'm quite okay with that partner as well but it really depends on what kind of roommate if we get along do we know each other etc etc and what you mentioned yourself the rules no dishes in um the sink yeah get a good understanding on that uh and i found it a pretty interesting one and we'll see what happens uh, let's hope if we speak in a year from now um we'll all get it up and running um uh, one minor uh funny tax advantage on top of that even me being european and the pound dropping quite rapidly over the last months allows me to transfer a certain amount of euros over for a pretty attractive rate um which Although I might earn in pounds now, and on the long run, it still is hurting me quite a bit. That's, uh, I think, a nice thing to add that I at least have a benefit on that uh, side anyway. So I kind of a seriously interesting conversation, but we're uh, nearing uh, the 40-minute mark. So I think it's uh, time to slowly round up. Just uh, to actually ask, like, for the audience, if they would like to know more about you, is there any way they could reach out if they have questions or are like, hey cool guy is that i want to talk with him yeah i've i've absolutely got no problem with people reaching out to me but i'm not actually um on any sort of public uh public platforms i'm i, I lead quite a, a private life so if they could do it through you guys uh, I'd, I'd love to i'd love to uh help with any questions you know one thing i would just like to throw in um there is something called consent consent to let um, so when I mention that you may need to build up a 25% deposit to end up on a buy-to-let mortgage, you actually can get consent from a lender to let your property whilst it's still on a residential mortgage. Um, they just throw an extra percent on for the trouble. So it costs you a little bit more every month, but it does mean that you can move out and buy another house with it. That's another little hack that people can do to get um, to get on to get away from that property and move into something, you know, that the, uh, that the, want to buy in the future nice one and definitely um good to just be aware and even if you're not in the uk um in terms of like how you deal with lenders how you actually get the mortgage and regulations lots of things still apply to uh different european countries in the same way and again we're no tax advisors or financial advisors always do your own research but what i've seen myself from lots of people um invest in real estate all around the continent things are pretty similar um, all markets obviously have their own kind of like uh, little twerks but um, yeah. anyway just to throw that out there and I'd kind of like to jump over from there to another question if um, there's one resource you would kind of like recommend people to check out like in terms of books you mentioned already quite a few good ones and I know you've got a ton of books sitting right next to you in your bookshelf uh, if you had to pick any of those books and recommend them to people which one would it be? You know, there's so many, but weirdly, when you were saying that question, it was a podcast that sprung to mind. Would you mind if I, if I say that instead of a book? Please go for it. 
Yeah, so there's there's a podcast. It's it is UK focused, um, but it's called Property Hub. Um, and if you want to sort of get a feel for what it's like to be a landlord, um, that's an excellent excellent resource. It's very you, you probably get this feel from me now. I'm very human about things, and they have a lot of interaction with people asking questions, and and they um yeah they're landlords themselves, and um they they offer a lot of great content. So if if you want to dabble at being a landlord, I'd, I'd suggest starting there a property hub. Nice one and. Then kind of like one question we always ask in the end uh, of each episode. If there would be one actionable tip for somebody to get started on the bed to fire, what would be like the one thing you would recommend that to do? And feel free to do this in like a real estate kind of like team. Uh, you would like to recommend what's the best thing for like a first time real estate investor to be aware of, or if you want to go along another route, also go for it. Um, I think a lot of people suffer from sort of analysis paralysis um there's it is extremely expensive to do it and it is extremely sort of um you know you feel the risk because it's so expensive so i'd say that you know the the single thing that anyone can do is once you've made your mind off once you've done your research just go with it and and just just buy something because you know, as long as you get your fundamentals right, as long as you learn the basics and as long as you learn what isn't isn't a good deal, um, spending hours thinking about, you know, the, the extra half a percent in yield or thinking about, you know, the extra one percent capital growth, it's not going to get you the real life experience that you need to be a landlord. So, you know, the, the number one thing for me is just don't get caught up in the analysis. Do it by all means, but don't um don't get caught up in it. Gotcha. Um, 1.1 more or whatever might matter, but on the grand scheme of things, just actually getting started and doing something is the thing that will change your life. Not uh, one decimal more or less. Anyway, I thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really enjoyed this and we'll do another one on the bench and then hopefully people will enjoy that one as well. Yeah, man, that'd be great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe Podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe Podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.